talking to Brother Isaac earlier, and I had asked him, I said, if 30 pages of notes was too little, he says, well, that's too much. I said, well, then it's a good thing I only did five. <laughs> so just to give you all a little relief, um, I give honor to my pastor for believing in me and trusting in me, which is a big deal to stand behind a sacred desk and preach the word of God. Um, I will ask that you turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. And when you are there, say amen. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof and shall burn it upon the altar. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made of leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. As for the oblation of the first fruits, ye shall offer them unto the Lord but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. In verse 13, In every oblation of thy meat offering shall thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. I will also ask that you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 13, Say amen when you are there. Now, in the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam, began Abijah to reign over Judah. And he reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was also Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abiah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. Doesn't seem like very good odds at first. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemarim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons, by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. Tonight sure you have probably heard this in years past, whether by the mouth of Pastor Fishburn or by the mouth of another minister or a visiting minister, but tonight I will be preaching this in a different context. So my title is, Are You Worth Your Salt? Are You Worth Your Salt? Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, obviously, you all know what this is. Salt is a seasoning that we all are familiar with. We use it just about every day, from seasoning, dish, seasoning dishes to melting ice in the roads in the winter. Salt has become a common benefit to our society. But why is salt so special? And what role does it play in the Bible? And what does it have to do with God and his covenants? <clears throat> See, over the course of me taking the Elite program, we have been doing, I have already completed several courses, and the one I am in now is Theological Essentials. And one of the, in, in our previous lesson, we were discussing dispensations and covenants. And there was a, and of course, we were familiar with the covenants, the Adamic, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Davidic, and the Messianic. But there was a covenant that came to my mind yesterday that was not mentioned, whether that was unintentional or not. I do not care. But that covenant was a covenant of salt. And there is two places in Scripture where, where I have already read tonight where that is mentioned. The first instance was in Leviticus when God was issuing the laws concerning offerings and sacrifices offered up in the tabernacle. And one of those was a meat offering. And God had explicitly said that they would they were not to offer any meat offering without first seasoning it with salt. That the salt of co of the covenant of thy God to be should not be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Why salt? Obviously, I don't believe God was petty enough to care about the flavor of the meat that was offered. Obviously, meat offerings and thanks offerings were not. Yes, sir. Sorry. Yes. Um, so, and obviously, these offerings did not magically appear in God's lap. They were symbolic. An example. So why was salt so special? Throughout history, salt has been a sought-after commodity. It was not easily obtained. Very often, only the elite and even the royalty would only obtain this commodity. Empires thrived on salt trade. Wars were fought over salt, and it was even a form of currency in some countries and cultures. It's hard to imagine that a simple garnish, which we take for granted today, had so much more significance to those before us. <clears throat> Harvard University, in an article written on nutrition and wellness, had this to say about salt. It said, it flavors food and is used as a binder and stabilizer. It is also a food preservative, as bacteria can't thrive in the presence of high amount of salt. The human body requires a small amount of sodium to conduct nerve impulses, contract and relax muscles, and maintain the proper balance of water and minerals. So it's plain to see that salt is valued for two reasons. It's valued for its ability to enhance flavor, and its ability to preserve. Long before refrigeration was ever invented, salt was used to preserve meat in the harshest of climates, whether you lived in the Sahara or you lived in the coldest regions of the Arctic Circle. As mentioned in the article, salt prevents bacteria from corrupting meat due to the fact that it can't thrive in a high salt content. So, for instance, the Egyptians, when mummifying a uh, dead body, they would place the body in natron salt, 
most commonly found in a Dead Sea area. And they would place that body in the salt for 40 days to keep it from decomposing as a normal dead body would. It would normally, a dead body decomposes immediately after death when the enzymes are breaking down by bacteria in the body. Whereas when the body was laid in this salt, it would prevent those bacteria from breaking down as enzymes, thus preserving the body. And even today, 3,000 years later, those bodies you can see today in museums are perfectly preserved, as if they just died not too long ago. <clears throat> in ancient Rome, a soldier's pay, consisting in part of salt, came to be known as salarium argentinum, from which we derived the word salary. A soldier's salary was cut if he was not worth his salt, a phrase that came into being because the Greeks and the Romans often bought slaves with salt. Because of its use as a preservative, salt became a token of permanence to the Jews of the Old Testament. Its use in Hebrew sacrifices as a meat purifier came to signify the eternal covenant between God and Israel. In one biblical case, salt symbolized a lack of fidelity, where God would prove his faithfulness through this simple garnish. I also found it quite interesting that in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, salt was used to rub on newborn babies as a way of um, preventing putrefaction. And in some superstitions, it was considered good luck in preventing the evil eye. So it's obvious just how valuable salt was to many people. But just as it was valuable to mankind, it was valuable to God. We, see in our, we saw in our reading that salt was so important to God that whenever the priest made a meat offering, it had to be offered with salt. Otherwise, it would be rejected. <clears throat> so in God's eyes, salt was heavily symbolic in the establishment of an everlasting covenant. Just as salt does not perish, neither does the word of the Lord when, we, when he makes a covenant with an individual. When, and as we saw in Second Chronicles, God made a covenant of salt with David. <clears throat> We're all familiar with the th covenant of an everlasting throne, and through David's lineage came Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate king. When God made a covenant of salt with David, the salt symbolized that no matter the shortcoming of David or his descendants, God's promise to an everlasting throne would endure and not rot. <clears throat> Jewish commentator Tim Bernard explained in his article titled A Covenant of Salt, that the reason why it had spiritual significance was that its preservative qualities made it the ideal symbol of the perdurability of a covenant. Salt, in reference to a covenant, signifies faithfulness. God represents salt in that he preserves life, sustains life, and is faithful to his promises to whom he makes a covenant with. <clears throat> when God makes a covenant with us, when God gives us a promise, he doesn't turn back on it. He doesn't just go back on his word. It even says in his word, it will not turn back void. So in 2 Samuel, when God made a covenant of salt with David, he wanted David to understand that the covenant was perpetual and not to be broken. Just as salt preserves, so God promised to preserve not only David himself, but his descendants. God, did, God didn't, just, didn't just want to establish a covenant with mere words, even though his word was absolute, but a symbol as a witness that his covenant would not be forsaken, even when some of David's descendants would utterly be wicked. Salt covenants were common in the biblical era and also in the region of the Near East. Two parties would usually meet and dine together. A piece of bread dipped in oil and then in salt would be offered around the table to the opposite party. Once it was eaten, they were now bound to each other and, if necessary, could come to one another's aid in times of war. This salt covenant could also be found amongst the Bedouin tribes even still today. 
in connection to their law of hospitality. <clears throat> in Matthew 5.13, Jesus placed an emphasis on salt, saying, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing to, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Not only does salt preserve food, but it also enhances flavor. And in most instances, add flavor to a previously bland dish. Jesus' meaning in the passage of Scripture is that as his people, we are to enhance the beauty of the world around us. An original desire he had for Adam in the garden before sin entered into the world. For he told Adam to dress the garden to keep it. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Christ said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Once we have put on Christ, our existence is rewritten. It's as if God takes our old, as the scripture says, he takes our old man, it is buried with him in baptism, and he completely rewrites, as if he rewrites our entire DNA, our entire emotional, neurological capacity. Because once we have put on Christ, our existence is rewritten and remade in the image of God, which means we don't think the way we used to. We don't talk the way we used to. We don't do the things we used to do. If I was a drug addict and God delivered me from drug addiction, that means when I, once I'm saved, I'm not going to go back into that situation and get high and get strung up and try to get a fix because I'm a new creature in Christ. My satisfaction is found in him. My completeness is found in him. Being a new creature in Christ means we are now designed to uplift, enhance, bring light, and glorify God. Our very essence is to be his salt and light. Because in the same, very same chapter, he also said that we are the light of the world. As new, as new creatures, as born-again Christians, we are called to be that flavoring agent, to spread the gospel to this world. With the knowledge of salvation paired with our testimony, we are giving others a taste of heaven and thereby a taste of God. As David said in Psalms 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. David got a revelation that once you get a taste of heaven, you have, you, you've had it. That's all you ever want. That taste of heaven overcomes the taste for the world, the taste for alcohol, the taste for drugs, the taste for illicit relationships, the taste for worldly success. I don't need to tell you just how dark this world, twisted this world has become today. I mean, we can see it the moment we walk out of our door. It's put in front of our face, whether it's on a billboard, whether it's on our Facebook news feed, whether it's on the news, whether it's in our podcast. We know just how darkened. We know that this nation we live in has turned its back on God. We have forsaken and we have forsaken his laws. We are murdering each other, stabbing each other in the back. We are forsaking the widows and the orphans. So that is why it is important as apostolics, as those who have come out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that we bring that same light he has put in us and spread it throughout the world. We must be that light that draws people into the kingdom. And we must be that taste of heaven that comes with being a child of God. And Jesus warned us, if we neglect to be the salt in the light of the world, as Jesus warns, we will lose our savor. And in other words, we lose our effectiveness 
as an enhancer. It brings me, it brings the mind back to what, uh, I couldn't remember his name or the title of his message, but at peak, I believe it was the first night, uh, his title was the influence or the influencer. And that ties with enhancer. Are we going to be an enhancer? Are we going to be the enhancer? Are we going to be the influence? Are we going to, are we going to be, sorry, are we going to be an influencer or are we going to be influenced? Too many times we see today in modern society that many people in the church are so, it's so easy to compromise in today's society. It's so easy to throw in the towel, to go along with what the world is doing in order to bring other people into the church, in order to fill the pews, in order to bring in a more steady income for a pastor or for a church. It's easy just to throw in the towel. It's easy, easy just to lay down this standard and that standard. God takes holiness seriously. So should we. God takes our faithfulness to him and to his word seriously, just as he takes the seasoning of salt to meat offering seriously. I am of the persuasion that not only God, has God given us a measure of faith and talent, but a measure of salt. And it is vital what we do with that measure. As I mentioned earlier, there was a custom in ancient Rome that if a soldier was uh, if a soldier's pay was cut due to any infraction, it was because he was not worthy of his salt. And so it loses what we do with it. If we misuse it, it loses its effectiveness. If we do not use it, then the world will never know what heaven is like. It will never have that taste of heaven. It will never have that taste of God. It's just like the parable of the talents. If we hide that talent, if we bury it in the ground, how is the world ever going to know the truth of one God? How is the world ever going to know about the truth of salvation, about repentance, in Jesus' name, baptism, and the filling of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in other tongues? We are called to be the salt in the light of the world. We are called not to just enhance, but to influence. We as the church should be that lighthouse. And the sea of chaos is going on in this country with corruption at its high. We need to be the incorruptible body of Christ, the bride whose doors will be open to anyone who wants to come in. At times, we question our value in this world. We feel like we have little impact but I want to remind each and every one of you, just as God has reminded me, that we are worth it all. That we have a purpose, that we have a plan instilled in our being by the Creator. Jesus proved that when He took on flesh, when He was tempted in all points, as we are yet without sin, when He took on that our, sacri our sins and our iniquity, and he gave his life for us in an agonizing way. He was proving to the world, to future generations, that they were worth it, that he died for us, that he died so we could be an impact, so we could be an influence in this world. When he stood on that cross, he had your existence in mind. He had your plan in mind. He had your future in mind. You were not a bygone. You were not just... A flash in the pan. You were created for a purpose. You were created to be an impact, to be an influence in this society. Bring it back to what Peter said in Second Peter. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a special people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God doesn't make mistakes or accidents. God creates potential. So I, I remind you, and I ask this question, what is your salt worth? What is the worth of your salt? Is your salt only used to enhance you? Or is it used to enhance those around you? Is your salt so worthless that you're willing to trade it in for the bitterness of the world? God gave us a mission that we were to go into all nations preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus. Amen. That is our salt, that commission, that gospel. That's the salt that we are to spread, that we are to spread to this society that has become bland and flavorless. I, mean, I don't need to remind you this how wonderful salt is. I mean, without the showing of hands, how many of us have, you know, gone through McDonald's expecting a hot carton of fresh salted fries, and instead we get one that's two hours old with no salt? It's gross, right? That's just, that's what it's like with us. If we don't use our salt, then the message, the gospel that we present, the message and testimony that we present to the world will be bland. It won't be attractive. It won't draw them in. Instead, it'll, it'll push them away. And I've seen it. And it's disturbing. They see people that have so much potential throw their lives away because someone had the wrong influence, because someone was not seasoned with salt. And so, in closing, I would love to say this. Don't underestimate the measure, the gifts, and the talent God has given you. God knows exactly what we need to win this world. He doesn't need, he doesn't need our own agenda. He doesn't need our own style. He doesn't need our own way of doing things. He has put in place in his word what is needed to win this world, what is needed to draw people unto him. So I ask you musicians to come as I close. That tonight, as we gather around this altar, that we would ask God to season us with the salt of His Word. That we would ask God to be, that He would make us to be the lights that He has called us to be in this darkened world. So as we lift our hands tonight, let us call on God, asking Him to season us, to give us a taste of heaven so that we can give, uh, so that we can give it to the world. So that we can show others that there is so much more worth living for in the kingdom than there is in the world. Pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.